when him and I met each other, we were in YWAM, and um, I had decided that in going to YWAM, I was not going to focus on guys. I had had horrible relationships in the past, and um, I just felt like I needed to spend time with the Lord and focus on him. And so, but I told him that I knew, I felt like I wasn't supposed to be alone forever, so that if he wanted me to, to see somebody or, you know, that he was going to bring the person that I was to marry to make it obvious to me, um, to let me know. So when Howard and I became friends, I really didn't think anything of it. I really didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, because I wasn't focused on guys. Um, so... Then he started to like me, and I knew it, and it kind of was like that. He started to like me. (laughs) (laughs) This is ridiculous. And it was kind of like one of those, you know, where I had to tell him, you know, I had guy friends in the past, and they started to like me, and so I kind of had to, like, not be their friends anymore. And so I was trying to give him these hints, like... Yeah, you need to leave, honey. <laughs> <laughs> you asked me to I'm come up here. Um, so, um, so as we were throughout the course of our DTS, we ended up both. Yes, we both wanted to go to Southeast Asia, <clears throat> and so we were both on the same team. And um, <clears throat> I really saw some like strengths in him. But I really wasn't focused on it, focusing on it at the time because I was trying to focus on the Lord. And um, then when he started to like me, I went, because I like to go out into the woods. So I'd go out into the woods and I'd pray, <laughs> and I would say, you know, okay, Lord, he likes me, but I don't really have the same feelings as he does. So, but if you really want me to, if this is the man you want me to marry, help me develop, develop those feelings towards him. So... Throughout the course of our DTS, um, I just felt like I was reminded of his strength and, and leadership and his heart for the lost and, and all these things, and I really felt my heart, like, drawing towards him. And so I just kept laying it down before the Lord, going, okay, I kind of feel like I'm falling for this guy, but I don't want to if this is not what you have for me. So I just kept laying it down before the Lord, laying it down, laying it down. And um, <clears throat> and so then he told me he liked me, and at that point I was like, you know, I really like him. He's so. I told him I like you too. Is that what you said? And she like really likes me now. <laughs> and it's not because the Lord made her. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I don't like him, but you need to make me have feelings for him because it's not there. <laughs> I didn't mean but she didn't mean it that way we're going to talk about it on the way home uh, so if, do you guys have any questions for her like about finding the love of your life choosing the love of your life rather so you said you confirmed your feelings after he asked you like asking for the direction well I was really seeking the Lord asking him like um, cause, because of my past and relationship with guys I didn't want to just be like, oh, he likes me, you know, and just date somebody, you know. I wanted to be like, I don't want to date anybody unless he's the person that I want to marry. Basically, I was done with that part of my life. And so, and I had told the Lord, too, that um, I wasn't going to be looking for 
the hottest guy or the, you know, so many strengths. Like, in the, no, you have to realize I dated blonde hair, blue eyed surfers. He's not a blonde hair, blue eyed surfer. <laughs> <laughs> so I told the Lord, I'm not going to be looking for the outward. I'm going to be looking for the heart. And, and I'm exotic. <laughs> Physically, yes, that came after the heart. <laughs> I hate you, Joe. <laughs> a better question. Then they might have a better. No. <laughs> All right, for newcomers, that's my son. All right, ask, ask. What? You okay with me sharing? Yeah, I was totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, when we were kind of liking each other, we were driving in his little Ford Festiva, little tiny egg-shaped car, and um, he got upset for some reason, and he just like angry, slammed the steering wheel, and I was like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" And remember last Sunday when he talked about my father doesn't really have a voice, so he doesn't yell. So that was like really big in my eyes. I was like, whoa, wait a minute, you know, like, maybe there's some anger issues there. And you have to realize we lived in a YWAM bubble. So Youth with a Mission was like all these students that were, had a heart and hunger for God, and so it was easy to miss those raw parts of people, you know what I mean? Because everybody's just focused on the Lord and worshiping the Lord. Prayer sessions, you know, a heart for the nation, speakers coming in. So it was like having... Um, like our, our retreats 24-7. So it's easy to miss those raw sides of people. So when I saw that about him, I was like, okay, Lord, what's happening here? Is this something that I need to be watchful of, careful of? So does that answer your question? Anybody else? Besides my children? <laughs> oh, good, they're left. Yeah. Ella's gone. I think she's gone. <laughs> Any other questions? All right. Thank you, honey. Oh, that's it? Yeah. <laughs> You've done enough. <laughs> All right. So we're talking about finding the love of your life, okay? Uh, last week, what did we talk about? Anybody remember? We, uh, we talked about relationship for five weeks. This is the fifth week. What was last week's? Oh, no, when you're ready. Oh, she has a journal. If you have a journal, you get like extra points. Yeah, how do you know you're ready? Week before that, we talked about why wait? Why wait to have sex before you're married? Uh, Then week number two, guarding your heart. And then the week one was why God is the only expert on dating. The reason why we're talking about this series is because one of the things that will affect you the most at this time, this phase in your life, is your relationships with the opposite sex. And so the way you do it, right, the way you have relationships will impact the rest of your life. Who you marry, who you choose to marry, who you use to, who choose to align your life with will change your life for the better or for the worse. It will affect you. And a lot of times people come into, uh, into relationships in the marriage thinking that they're ready. Right? Thinking that they know what they want. But really, it's a matter of chance. Chemicals, where people see eye to eye and all your brain starts flooding with endorphins and all this, this, this 
these hormones and this attraction. And all of a sudden, it's out of control. And by the time you come to where you're thinking clearly, you're, you've already been in this relationship for months. So that pulling this relationship apart will cause tremendous pain, hopefully, unless you're really you're, you're heartless, you're, your heart's really jaded. Right? So it's a big deal. Relationships are a big deal. But in our culture... Right? I think the theme that you will get from every single sermon is that relationships are more. There's a higher view to relationships. And I want you to have a respect for, mar- uh, for relationships, for marriage. So the, the, the idea here isn't that I'm here to say, no, none of you guys should date. None of you guys, you guys need to court, which means you, you have kind of this contractual agreement where you're going to discuss marriage. And if you continue to like one another, you'll move forward and get married without any kind of physical touch or, or intimacy. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is have a high view of marriage. Have a high view of relationship. Have a high view of sex according to the Bible. Because the Bible has a high view. And we treat it so, so cheaply. Remember last week we were talking about two adults uh, 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 consenting to having sexual intercourse is what we consider sex. But the Bible's view of sex is far, far, far higher than that. It's the molding. Uh, Maddie, what did you do? She was like... That's right. Two become one. Right? It's a high view. That means your souls become entwined. And when we treat sex like it doesn't matter, when it's two physiological uh, 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 experiences, we have a major, major problem on our hand. Right? So we've gone through all of this idea that God has a high view of relationship, high view of marriage as a purpose. Right? And so now we're talking about choosing. Choosing the love of your life. Right? Now this is the deal. Scripture is kind of funny. There's not going to be a scripture that's going to tell you this is exactly how you choose, right? In fact, most of the marriage scriptures that we find besides in the Old Testament is written by Paul, and Paul doesn't seem to be that kind of a romantic. In college group, we kind of talked about him maybe having a crush on on somebody in the Bible, but it's not a real romantic view. It doesn't just come out and it's very comprehensive and, oh, this is very easy to understand. But we can see themes in scripture. So there's three passages uh, I want you guys to look at. Look at the first passage. This is Genesis 2. And this is what Raylan Raylan read. Oh, is there one before it? Oh, I don't think so. All right, the one that Raylan read, Adam. Okay, can you turn back to that one? This is Genesis 2. No, back. It's the scripture reading. Uh, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, which is kind of weird, right? And then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. This is really interesting because this means that God is intricately involved in the idea of relationship. From the very beginning of time, when he created Adam and Eve, he made Adam and Eve to have relationship. If you really think about it, outside of science and evolution, all that kind of stuff, if you think about a man and a woman coming together to procreate, to have a child, that is interesting if God, did, if God made that. If evolution is not true and God really did make it, how interesting it is that two people would get together and procreate and have another child. Isn't that interesting? If God made that, that means every part of our being, one big part of our identity, right? Not the whole identity, because we talked about LGBT before. Not the whole identity. Sex, sexuality is not your whole identity. But a portion of your identity, a big portion of your identity, has to do with male and female coming together in relationship from the very beginning. And so we see God is involved. That's a big theme. God is involved. And the next one, Second Samuel. Or maybe we're at Genesis 20. 
Okay, Genesis 24. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things for his, from his master. He set off for Aram Naharim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water because it's really hot outside. Then he prayed, O Lord God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside this spring and the daughter of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. So this is a weird passage, right? So this is Abraham's servant, a guy named Eliezer, right? Not my son, Eliezer. My son, Eliezer, is one of David's mighty men. You can read about him later. But anyway, Eliezer was sent out by, the, by Abraham. And if you read early in the passage, he does this weird thing. Abraham says, Eliezer, come here. Put your hand under my thigh so I can, you, can make a, I can, uh, you can swear something to me. Now, put, something under, put his hand under your thigh. That doesn't mean your thigh. That means where your, your ticulars, your tenders are. Because... This is what the mark of circumcision was. By the mark of circumcision, you are identified as God's, Yahweh's. And so he was putting his hand where the mark of the circumcision was, which is obviously the, the male part, right? And so he swears by putting his hand, the servant. This is a big deal. And he says, I want you to go get a, son, uh, get a, a wife for my son. That's pretty unnerving. Eliezer's the oldest. He's probably 60 or something like that. So he goes back to Abraham's hometown because he doesn't want, Abraham doesn't want a daughter from the area that he's in, in Canaan, because he doesn't like those women. They're idolaters in, in Abraham's eyes. They're, they're, they're uh, not right. So he wants him to go back to his home. So Eliezer goes back to Abraham's hometown with ten camels loaded with jewels and, and riches and gifts and all this kind of stuff. Eliezer probably had many men that went with him. They're crossing the desert, right? This is a big deal. Eliezer, I mean, uh, yeah, Eliezer does not look like a poor man. He does not look like a pauper. He comes into the town. It's dusk. The sun is going down. All of the young women are going out getting water. Now, this is really, really interesting. Eliezer doesn't look at Rebecca's face. He doesn't remark her face. He doesn't say anything about her face. He just says, God, please be kind to my master Abraham. I want a woman of character. This test is all about character. He says, I will go up to a woman, I'll ask her for a drink. And this is really interesting about Rebecca too. Immediately she, she lets down the jar from her shoulders, which is a sign of modesty. Because if he drank from, the, from her shoulder like she's tilting, then his face would be close to her face. So she lets down the jar. It's a big deal culturally. Secondly, he says, if she offers to, uh, to water my camels. Now this is the weird thing. Ten camels crossing the desert, thirsty. And it, the Bible says that they camels drank until they stopped, until they had, they had no more, they, they didn't want any more drink. That's probably around 240 gallons of water. And not only that, it says she went down to the spring to get the water. That means she's walking uphill with water, filling the troughs for these camels. Now, I'm not thinking that she's probably doing this by herself because Rebecca is also a noble woman, a woman of a... Of a, of a, of a a wealthy, not maybe not wealthy, but a, a, a um, well-off house. So maybe there's a couple of servant girls, but basically she's going and doing it. It'd probably take an hour or so of hard work. And also, marriable age, she's probably not very old. We're talking about as soon as a woman hits her menstrual cycle, she is now marriable age. So this is a woman, a young girl of honor, character, right? Kindness. 
And as soon as she does all this, Eli- and this is the thing, Eliezer and, and, his man, and his men, they're watching her do it. They're not doing anything. They don't help her. They don't go down and get jugs and help her. They watch her do it. Isn't this really interesting? And as soon as she says, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll water your camels, and they start doing it and finish, he starts to put jewelry on her, a nose ring, all these kind of things. And this is the interesting thing, right? That Eliezer called upon God to do something that was crazy radical, right? Now, it, it wasn't like call down fire from heaven, that radical. That's, that's, that's a whole new level. But he asked God to do something that was probably pretty improbable. Eliezer probably not, was not asking something that, that, that was common, that all these women would volunteer to, to go get 240 gallons. It's just a thing. No, he did it because it was very distinctive. He asks for God's help. Right? And then the third slide, this is 2 Samuel 11, 26-27. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. Now obviously this is a negative example of the theme that God is involved. That God is in, intricately involved in our relationships. David here, he saw Bathsheba. This is during the time of war when all of his soldiers go out. But David used to lead the armies. But instead he stays at his palace. It's overlooking the city. He sees a woman bathing on the top of uh, her roof naked. He sees her. He sees that she's hot. He says, bring her here. He's the king. She has to come. They go up there. He has sex with her. She becomes pregnant. So he has to figure out, David, King David, has to figure out how to cover his tracks. So he decides to get Uriah, who's Bathsheba's husband, killed. This is like a K-drama. It's crazy. And so he does. He gets her killed. This is David, man after God's own heart. He has her, he has him killed. And Uriah is not a, a ignoble man. He's an honorable man. He refused to go home and have sex with his wife while he was on duty. They were like, go, just go, have sex with your wife. Go sleep with your wife, right? Because then Uriah would think that's his kid. And he wouldn't have to marry her or kill Uriah. But Uriah refused. He refused to go home to his wife while all of his other men were there waiting. He was a noble man. And David gets him killed. I mean, literally, he, killed, he gets this guy killed. So the soldiers all move forward. And then <clears throat> he told his commanding officer, as soon as they all move forward and Uriah's in the front, everybody step back. That's what they did. And Uriah got killed. He went forward with the men. They all stood, stepped back and he was standing there and he got killed. That's what David did. And then, as soon as the time of mourning, this is a, the, the, uh, the amount of time that was forced, right? You had to mourn for a certain amount of time. Then he brought her home. David brought her home, married her, and had a child. And this thing displeased the Lord. Sometimes people think, oh, the things that we do and don't do in our relationships, like it doesn't matter to God. But I think it does. Because the fact of the matter is, if you choose, if your relationship choice is a bad choice, and I'm not talking about value, I'm, talk, I'm just talking about a bad choice, okay? People have innate value because you have the, the Imago Dei. Right? You have the divine spark in you. You have the potential to be passionate for the Lord. But if you make a wrong choice in choosing your spouse, your soulmate, your person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with, that can severely detour where you go with the relationship with the Lord. I know of people, right, that when they were your age and they were getting married, they were passionate for the Lord and they dated the wrong guy. The guy that wasn't interested in the Lord at all or just played like he was interested just until they got married. And then afterward walked away completely and dragged her with him. 
You think God's not interested in that? There's so much more at play than just your life. And then other people are like this. They're like, oh, I'll marry somebody that's not a Christian. That's okay, because I'll be, it's my faith. It's me. It's my personal faith. And they think, oh, they won't affect me. So let's just say, let's just entertain that for a second, that their, their lack of faith does not affect you. But when you have children, it will affect your children. Whether or not your children will go to church, whether or not your children will have disdain for the Lord, whether or not your children will learn, whether or not your children will see an example, if he's a man that doesn't have faith, whether they'll see a godly example. Right? Like last week we were talking about. Being a priest of the home as a man. It's very difficult when the guy's not a believer. Alright, so here's some observations. God cares about your love life. There's no one way to choose. This is the thing, right? Uh, the idea about the soulmate. The reason why there's no such thing as a soulmate is because everybody's married wrong people. Like you look around, there's some messed up marriages. They didn't just marry their soulmate. They just picked. Right? So that means if your soulmate has gotten married by some other Yahoo, that means you don't have a soulmate. So who are you going to marry? You're going to marry someone else's soulmate? Then you just screwed up someone else's soulmate. Right? No, there are choices. You can fall in love or choose not to fall in love with anybody else. That's what we talked about relationship. Love is a choice. Yeah, it is emotion, but it's barely emotion. This is the thing. We conceive that the idea of of love has to do with our emotions, but it doesn't. Because love, according to the Bible, remember 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is slow to anger. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love never fails. That has nothing to do with emotion. That has to do with character. That has to do with choice. You will wake up in the morning and you will look at your wife, you will roll over in bed and you're like, who is this? Who is this woman? Right? Because you will not feel anything. You will be tired. Your life will be hard, especially when you pop out babies, man. Uh, Ladies, when ladies pop out babies. It's really hard. You're not thinking romance at all. They're just babies and they're crying and they're so needy and they poop everywhere, and then when they're sick, it's horrible. They throw up everywhere. They stay up all night. You're like, why? Right? Your, your life, if you're so used to being fancy-free, doing whatever you want, and you start all of a sudden have children, and that's thrown into your marriage, there will be moments in your life, you will roll over and you'll look at your wife and you'll be like, who is this woman that I've married? What have I done? And in that moment, you choose. I will choose to love this woman for the rest of my life. doesn't matter what, because it doesn't really have to do with my emotions. And my emotions will follow. You get it? So, observations. God cares about your love life. There's no one way to choose. God totally wants to be involved in choosing your mate. All right. So, last week we talked about uh, the triangular theory of love. Remember that? We also talked about the cloud relationships or the, the, Venn, the Venn diagrams, right? Uh, this week, we're into a little bit different. Uh, you guys remember the farmhouse? The farmhouse illustration, we're going to talk about the farmhouse. But okay, so the three R's, how do you, how do you choose the right person? Okay, this is kind of creepy. Number one is research. <laughs> this is creepy because people are like, that means you're, 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 you're stalking them. Yes, you are stalking them, but not because you're in love. You're stalking them if they, it, 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 to see if they are eligible for your love. It's a different kind of stalking. Right? Because this is the deal. You have to know the person because on a date, any fool can look like a brilliant person, a loving, character, wonderful person, right? On a date. I've been on a lot of dates and people think I'm amazing. 
But then when they live with you, they're just like, you are a bum. You are a horrible person, right? Because they know who I really am. On a date? So you've got to research the person. So how do you do that? This day and age, Facebook makes everything easy. Look at their posts. I know that's creepy, but you're going to do it anyway. I know you will. Right? But the problem is, when you, are, when you start to research, you have to be objective. You can't be like, oh, that's okay. Right? Because some of you guys were already leaning towards liking that person. You have to be objective. If, you're, if, the, if the posts have red flags, right? Not, not they've been flagged, but like in your head. You're looking at it, you're reading it, you're like, okay, this is bringing me a lot of concern. Right? Because the kind of things that this guy is posting or she's posting isn't the kind of person I would want to hang out with, then that's it. You're done. Game over. Choose another person. Right? Also, the person, the person's friends. You will hang out with the people that you most connect with. So if, the, if your friends, uh, if your boyfriend's friends are idiots, it's probably because he's an idiot. And I don't mean that he's like valueless. He has value. There's potential that he'll eventually come out of his idiotness. Right? But if he hangs out with like idiot, immature people, it's probably because he's an idiot and immature. Like, 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 you know that what we talked about last week, like turkeys don't hang out with eagles and eagles don't hang out with turkeys? It's true. Like in the, in the, in the wild, like the bald eagle, majestic, above, you know, have you seen eagles attack like goats? They'll like pick them up and throw them off a mountain and kill them. Do you, have you seen turkeys attack goats? No, they don't attack goats because they cannot, right? They have a hard time flying. They're really fat and around and we eat them for Thanksgiving. We do not eat bald eagles, right? Eagles and turkeys do not hang out. So if your friend or your boyfriend, the guy you like, his friend's all turkeys, he's not a turkey, even though he dresses like a tur- uh, an eagle. He's not a, he's, uh, <laughs> English. <laughs> he's not an eagle, even if he dresses like an eagle, right? People get deceived. So research, really easy, right? Research. I'm giving you uh, um, permission to, to creep. All right, number two. Regulate the relationship. And this is what we were talking about with guarding your heart. You have to be objective. Like my wife, bless her heart, like she wasn't like involved with me emotionally before she decided. She was spending a lot of time praying, like God, before I let my heart go any further, because she was on the cusp. It was like a dam. It was about to flood. Her emotions for me, her attraction for me was going to flood. But she was like before and start to crack, right? Little cracks are appearing. She's like, God, before I let my emotions go, because she wanted to let her emotions go. She was like, God, tell me if he's the one, right? That's what I'm encouraging you guys to do. Before the flood of emotions, you have to be objective. You've got to regulate. That's guarding your heart, slowing the relationship down. You shouldn't be dropping the L-bomb before you even know what L means. Unless it's like lame. This is lame. You're lame. No, that's kind of me. Don't say you're lame. You get what I'm saying? Like a lot of people are like, I love you, meaning that you have an overwhelming flood of emotions in your heart of well-being for that person and attraction and lust. That's what love means in our society. So don't drop the L-bomb. L, if you want to drop the L-bomb, means I want to spend the rest of my life with you, being godly, leading you to holiness, continually encouraging you in your faith, being faithful to you in heart, in my eyes, in my mind getting to know you and to sacrifice with you, alongside you, for you. If you want to drop the L-bomb then, go ahead. That's what you really mean when you say, I love you, right? With this new idea of love. Right? So you won't be tempted to say, I love you. Just say, I have a lot of emotions for you. That's good. 
He said it on the second date. I have a lot of emotions for you. We're serious. This is a big deal. Our so go slow, okay? You guys know this. Um, so the farmhouse illustration, can you put the farmhouse up there? So this is the problem when, when we have a relationship that goes too fast. The, the lawn is somebody that you don't know, like Starbucks, right? She's, she's the barista, and she looks at you, and she winks, right? <laughs> my, my, uh, my middle son, he can't wink, and uh, he told a joke, and he tried to wink at us. He was like this. Like that. But he's like, he's like 11. He should know how to wink by now. But the barista winks at you, but less creepily, right? She winks at you, and you're like, hey, right? And then you invite her to the porch, which means you do, you have some kind of activity. You, you, like, you go to a public place, and you say hi, right? You, get to, you run into her at, at the movie theater, or whatever, it just doesn't matter. The office, you start to have exchange, right? She scratches your buck, you scratch hers, which means basically like you're going on a date, you're having fun, it's not a big deal, there's not really any kind of like uh, um, uh, requirement, you're, you're just talking. You're just talking, you're not steady, you're not girlfriend, boyfriend. Then living room, you start to date and become girlfriend and boyfriend. You get to know each other. All the little uh, idiosyncrasies in your relationship, right? And then kitchen, that's, that's like engagement. That's like you're ready. Like this is serious. Like we're now making food together, right? This is serious. And then bedroom, da 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 wedding night, right? But the problem is what our culture teaches people is they go from lawn to the back door in one night, Right? How many times have you heard of girls, right? They're saying, oh yeah, I'm talking with that guy. But they've already had sex. <laughs> I appreciate that. It happens all the time. And people are just like, oh yeah, it's okay. Because their definition of sex, two consensual adults, right? Two consenting adults. But the idea is in the relationship house, this is meant for a long period of time. This is a long period of time. They are not just immediately inv- uh, invited into your kitchen. Even friends, like say your friends, right? Let's say me and Fish are friends, and we are friends, right? And Fish is constantly trying to get in my kitchen, like he wants to be a part of my family. But he can't. He's not my family. Actually, we did go to the YMCA with all my kids, and, uh, and Fish was there. <laughs> and the lady was like, okay, just pass through. She thought we were all like, they were my kids. and all, It was like Fish, John, Josiah, like it's just all going down. Little ducklings. <laughs> But he's trying to get in my kitchen, but he can't. Because only certain people are in my kitchen, right? Like my blood. <laughs> anyway, so this is the deal, right? And then the bedroom. Nobody can get in my bedroom except for my wife, right? Amen? Hallelujah, right? Living room. People that I know for a long time. Some of you guys I've known for like 10 years. I've known Sheenette for 10 years. We go way back. She's in my living room. We hang out. She makes fun of me. She's not nice to me when she doesn't want to be. Right? You know, there's no obligation there. She can just be however she wants to be around me. It's fine. Right? Because we're in the living room. You know, the office, you just get to know people. You know, they, they help you to study. You go to Panera and study together. You're just in the office. But this is meant to be a long period of time before you get into every different area. The problem is, you get to the bedroom, the deepest, most intimate part of your life. You go to the bedroom in one night. So regulate. Slow it down. So the first one is research. Or be creepy. Number two, Regulate. And number three, rest in God. This is the most important thing. A lot of you guys are new Christians. Some of you guys have been walking with the Lord for a long time, but haven't been really that committed in laying down every aspect of your life to the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, when you submit to the Lord, when you give your life to the Lord, every aspect of your life, every aspect that you, uh, of, of your life that you give to the Lord will, will become blessed. It doesn't mean it will be easy 
Like my wife and I, we've not had an easy marriage. We've, had, we've not had an easy life. When we were in missions, we had no money. We were very, 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 very poor. Remember I told you I, I had like enough money to, have la- to do laundry every week. That's it, right? We didn't have very much money. And then we had a lot of kids, and my wife and I didn't see eye to eye on that. I wanted two. She wanted 20, so we met in the middle and got five, right? Right? That's, that's how you work things out in marriage. It wasn't, it wasn't easy, but I can t- definitely tell you that we are blessed. Like, my wife is, like, so in love with me, it's ridiculous. I mean, I mean and I don't, I don't really, I, I mean, <coughs> like, I mean that, like, I, I, yeah, like, I say that, like, in a lighthearted manner, but, like, like I am, like, overwhelmed by, like, because I'm, like, you know, frumpy. I'm just not, like, that great of a guy. And I come home, and she's like, I love you so much. I'm like, really? <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think, oh, that's nice. I'm like, why? Why? That's, that's kind of weird, just kind of strange, right? And so, so we are blessed, but I really think it has to do with us submitting our lives to the Lord, right? I, I tell my wife, like, yeah, I'm, I'm really dysfunctional. Like, I've grown up, and, I've, and next week I'm going to share my testimony. And, like, I've really grown up, like, super dysfunctional, like, super messed up. And, and yet, every time I, I lay the, my life down to the Lord, He's continually healing and fixing all of those broken relationships, the broken past, right? The broken way I think. And so I just want to encourage you to rest in God. That means lay it before God before the, the emotions start flooding, before you just give way, right? Lay it before God. Just God, you know, like, I am, I am not, I'm not completely involved yet. I just, God, I just want to know what you want to say before I, I move forward. Do it. That's, like, that's just, and, then, and then practice it. Practice that in every area of your life. God, what, what degree program do you want me to be a part of? And don't just think that he's going to make you do missions or whatever. You know, like God needs people, not needs, but God has people in every area, uh, every sphere of the world in life. You know? So start learning how to submit yourself to the Lord. It's not, this is not about being, um, just getting blessed. Right? This is a part of God's whole plan, which is when relationships are sanctified when relationships are God-centered, what they start to do is they start to affect other relationships. They start to affect children. They, they start to affect the generations after. They start to affect your city. They start to affect the nation. Right? We are not going to save the world through a program. We're going to save the world through authentic Christian life. When Josh is completely, totally changed for the Lord, not perfect, right? But when he's completely changed for the, uh, for the Lord, when he goes to Lakeside High School, Lakeside is affected by it. They, it can't help be but be. And it's all throughout the, it's all through the Lord. So when you have a relationship, when you see a marriage, it becomes a beacon of light. It becomes something that people are drawn to. Like, how do do you have a marriage where your your wife is so in love with you? Well, it really has everything to do with the Lord, just being submitted to the Lord and loving the Lord. Makes it, makes everything different. It's the big game changer. It's more than just a book. It's more than just self-help. When you rest in the Lord, the Holy Spirit does all these things and He's continually changing you and helping you and healing you. Is that good? I, the, the reason I teach relationships, I try to teach relationships once a year, but I know that you, get, you guys get bored with it. But I, tr- I, I try to teach relationships a lot because I, it's like I have two battles to fight as a pastor. The first battle is to bring you closer to the Lord, to get you to acknowledge the Lord in your life. That's one of the, that's one of the biggest battles, right? 
and a lot of you guys meet the Lord in, in church, meet the Lord in our, our youth ministry, in our college ministry. You meet the Lord and start following. And then the second battle is the relationship because that relationship can tear apart your relationship with the Lord. That can tear apart the, your future relationship with the Lord. It's a big deal. And so I just want to encourage you guys. God has a plan for your life. He's doing amazing things. Just continue to yield to Him. And, and for those of you that have had sex already, for those of you that have had multiple relationships that are just nonsensical, that are broken, that are empty, know that God will heal those things. Okay? So God is not just for the goody two-shoes, the ones that have been sheltered all their life. I've been broken my whole life, and God has been healing and changing my life, and he's made my relationship with my wife all the sweeter because I've known what it's like to be completely broken. You know what I'm saying? So do not be despairing if, if you've already just failed so much in relationships. God will heal that and will grow you in that. Is that good? Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters. God, I know that relationships are fun because they're so full of hope. But help us never to forget the weight of relationship and what it means to be united with somebody, whether uh, emotionally, sexually, intellectually. God, we know that your heart is for people to be in right relationships, to be built up together, to become strengthened, to be encouraged. And I just pray that that would be so in our group here, God, everyone hearing my voice, God, that they would continue to move forward in relationships in a way that glorifies you, in a way that brings them closer to you, in ways that, 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 uh, bring, that draws people closer to you, that they would be healers of other, other relationships, people that are broken around them, that they would speak hope and encouragement from their great experiences. And Lord, I just pray against any kind of fear. I know that some of our girls and guys too are afraid that they're never going to get married. And they're never going to find the one. But Lord, we want to yield all of those expectations to you, God, knowing that you are the one that, that aligns people and, and, and draws people towards one another. And you can, you can do that uh, in, in relationships. So help us to be the kind of people that are submitted to you in whatever it, it entails. Just thank you for all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Offering bucket's right there, and there's a video to show. <coughs> You're famous. Killer?